1: You never know where life is going to take you, and you never know when someone might say something that just digs into your heart, and you, you can't let it go. It's something that was said that just inspires you, that's really meaningful, and that happened to me about 25 years ago. I heard my guest today, DeWitt Jones, talk on a video as a photographer about his work And one of the things he said in that video that I saw was, always put yourself in the place of most potential. And that just, whoosh, went all over me. And I will tell you, as I told DeWitt after we met just yesterday, after all those years, hadn't really met him, you know, I told him how meaningful that was to the point that every leadership workshop I have done since then I have left the audience with those words and given him credit, of course. So, my friend DeWitt Jones, welcome to the show today.
2: Thanks, Val. <laughs> it's great to be here. And, you know, those words have meant a lot to me over my life. Uh, as a photographer, I believe me, I never thought I'd end up being a keynote motivational speaker But it seemed that there were a lot of things that I learned as a photographer, especially when you hook them with the photographs that were deeply moving to people. And let me show you a couple of the ways that I do that. Probably the most important thing that I say, and I say a lot of things, but probably the most important is, is to teach people that they are creative and they have the ability, To look at the ordinary and see the extraordinary. Now, if I just said that to you, it'd mean one thing. But if I showed you a picture like this and I said, here are some ordinary dandelion (laughs) puffballs. But if I just got down on the ground and looked at them in a little different way, they would turn into something truly extraordinary.
1: Wow. DeWitt. And that...
2: Whether you're talking about photography or you're talking about your relationships or you're talking about where you want to take your business, if you have that kind of image in mind that you can do that, it's there. And I would learn that over and over again. Now, let me show you another example just as we lead off into this uh, discussion I had a big job one time for Dewar Scotch, and they sent me over to Scotland with a crew of nine and a bunch of clients, and I was supposed to shoot salmon fishing on Scotland's River Tweed. And boy, I'd done my homework, I was ready, I was prepared, came down that windy road to the River Tweed, and there it was. It it looked like the East Sandusky River, you know, the (laughs) river without drama. I thought, what am I going to do? I turned to my art director. I said, I said, what are we going to do? He said, I don't know. I'm car sick. I'm going back to the hotel. You know, So it was up to me. And how many times for each of us is it up to you, you know, every day? And so I, I got talking to one of the, the guides, the gillies uh, there by the river. And he told me that, that every rock, every shoal, every riffle had a different character. He knew all of that. And then he told me that fishing for Scotland is a very formal affair. You wear a t- coat and a tie and a hat and chest waders. And then he told me, he said, you know, laddie, there was mist on the water this morning. That's unusual for this time of year. And I climbed all over it because, as you said, I wanted to be in the place of most potential. So as the sun came up the next morning, I had the fisherman. I had the ghillie. I had the guide. I had a moonset, I had my first right answer. It was beautiful. But there's always more than one right answer. And as soon as I took this shot, my intuition said, turn around, do it. And I turned around, and boy, now it was really getting beautiful. Mm. And as I shot that, I, w- I said, wait a minute, the place of most potential is down by those trees, because the sun's going to come up right behind that. So I yelled at the boys to get in the boat and paddle down there, and boy, when they did, oh, I couldn't believe it. Mm. Couldn't believe it. And when you're there in the place of most potential with your technique down, God, those right answers just keep coming. Uh, what? And this was the final ad.
1: Oh, my goodness. That is, what an incredible group of pictures to make an incredible point. And you see, yeah. that, that's what, that's, I guess, why that hit me so much about just turning around. I'll never forget it, DeWitt.
2: Well, I've done it so many times in my photography. And I've just... It, I've had many, many people come up to me, share the same thing, that mm. that they took it and now they'll be somewhere and they'll think of the, of the dandelion puffballs or they'll <laughs> think of that river tweed shot and they'll go, turn around, try another right answer. Are you in the place of most potential? Uh, those little things that we can grab onto mm-hmm. when we've lost our way a little bit, really helpful. If I can share a bunch of those with people, I'm a happy man.
1: Well, you're also such a real, authentic man, DeWitt, and what I want to talk about today with our audience listening, and hang on to every word because this man has such wisdom, I want to talk about your fascinating career and how you got to do what you have done, and I also want to talk about how through photography now, in these virtual keynotes you're doing, um, how you're talking to people about opening their eyes and their hearts to see life through a different lens. So let me just start by asking you, tell us a story about how, in the first place, You got into photography and before you do, let me just tell the audience a little bit more about you because you're not a bragging person at all. I don't have those people on the show anyway, but I want the audience to know your wonderfulness. So first of all, that you are absolutely one of America's top photographers and that you spent 20 years with National Geographic going all over just like that, going all over the globe. Finding these photographic stories so that they could be shown to us, to those of us who know that magazine, and because of that, you've earned a global reputation for being a photojournalist. And not only all of that, you've you have books that you have authored. You are a uh, director, a motion picture director, and you have won. Uh, have been honored, I should say, by two documentary films nominated for Academy Awards. All those things I want to talk about. But I want to start with how in the heck did you even get into photography?
2: Okay, well, I went to a liberal arts college. I went to Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire. And like many young men who were not pre-med or pre-law, I got to my senior year, and I had no idea what I was going to do when I graduated. And uh, so being a smart young kid, I applied, and I was accepted into Harvard Business School. Mm. My father was elated. Uh, That's where I was going to go. And then one night, four of us got together just sitting there in the evening trying to think of what we would do after graduation if we could do anything we wanted. And the hour got later, and... The images got bigger, and sometime after midnight, we came up with this idea of kayaking 1,100 miles up the coast of Japan, and what an amazing thing that would be, and uh, I said, I'll make a movie out of it. I'd never made a movie before in my life, but I got up the the next day with my first real vision, and the passion Hmm. that that vision brought with it. And so I withdrew my acceptance to Harvard and applied out to UCLA Film School to learn how to make movies. My father said, we've lost him. (laughs) I went out and I learned to make movies. And the group of four eventually grew to a group of 10. We talked the geographic into making both a movie and a still story about it. And we went to Japan, paddled up the coast. And when we got back, I was a filmmaker. And I never looked back. And two years later, uh, I had the opportunity to shoot my first still article for The Geographic, which were the first published pictures I'd ever had. And the rest is history. It was a perfect fit for me. I loved shooting for The Geographic. And the career went on from there.
1: What was it like, so you're a young man, you pivoted completely, I can only imagine as a parent what what I would have been thinking, probably the same as your dad, and yet here you are now uh, at National Geographic. What was it like that first day when you walked in?
2: Boy, you know, as I said, my first published photographs and they took me back to the geographic to give me my marching orders, and all the way back, all I could think of was, how am I going to prove myself? Hmm. How am I going to prove myself worthy to photograph with the best, best photographers in the world? And I was sitting downstairs waiting to be called up to his office, and I'm in Explorer's Hall, and I don't know if you've been there, but they're, you know, they're flags from Everest and submersibles that have gone in the Mariana Trench and the most beautiful pictures you've ever seen. And I, all I could think about is how am I going to prove myself? Hmm. And they took me upstairs to Bob Gilka's office and he was a very gruff guy. He reminded me of Patton and he actually had a, a, a little, little mat up Outside his office, and it said, "Wipe your knees before entering." <laughs> oh, yeah. Think I wasn't scared,
1: right? <laughs> right.
2: And and I I I go into his office, and he's writing, you know, and he looks up and he goes, "Jones, if you shoot for the Geographic, and I just hired you, you're very good. You don't have to prove yourself." I thought, mm. What? I don't have to prove myself. And then he looked up again. He leans over into my face, and he says but by God, every day you had better improve yourself. (laughs) And he said, look, I hired you for your eyes. Nobody else has those. If you stay with the best that you can do, you'll be great here. If you try and be like the other photographers or compete with them, it won't work. You won't get better. Don't prove, improve. And that changed my whole trajectory of my business life. Hmm. I just never thought about competing with anybody else. I just thought about getting better. And for me, that was huge.
1: That is so huge for today because if every boss would say something like that to the employees, what are you seeing in today's world in leadership as you now do wonderful TED Talks and motivational speeches and go all over the world as you did doing so? What are you finding are the areas of leadership that you would advise someone who is a leader maybe change or tweak a few things? If you were doing leadership development and coaching them, what would you say?
2: Well, first of all, I could say that what Bob put together was amazing. He put together a group of guys who he he was very tough on us. Don't get me wrong. Very tough on us, but not, not in a political way. He just wanted us to get better. And he said, if you, if you find something that helps you share it, then this whole group will get better. He didn't set up a, a competitive group. He set up a cooperative group. Mm -hmm. And we did. We all helped each other. I had people that I could call all over the world, other photographers and say, I'm stuck. How do I do this? And they'd explain, you know, they'd give me their best shot. Um, I think that if I was looking for people in my, if I was running a company, I would look for passion and I'd look for emotional intelligence. When my son got to be a sophomore in college, I said, I have your major. He said, wait a minute, I get to pick my major. I said, no, you don't. I'm paying. I get to pick your major. (laughs) He said, what do you want me to major in? I said, I want you to major in passion. I said, I don't think you're going to do what you're studying right now. Turned out he did not. But I said, I want you to touch passion because if you touch that kind of energy, then I'm not going to worry about you. And if you've never touched it, if you've never felt that kind of energy come up in you, then I am going to worry about you. Mm. And he's made a very fine career for himself and been very successful and been extremely passionate.
1: Well, passion is- I, I like
2: that kind of servant leadership idea, Valerie, where mm-hmm. where it's it would be my job to build the ground that people could flourish in.
1: I love that. Um, servant leadership certainly is talked about a lot. And then the word passion, everyone is talking about, well, my passion is this, my passion is that, but I can't do my passion at work. So let's go there for just a minute, because that's not what you're saying. Um, We talked yesterday in preparation for this show about, again, just always putting yourself in that Place of best opportunity. What would you say to an emerging leader as they are seeking to go further in their career? And maybe their passion is something that isn't necessarily what they can bring into the workplace. How would you tie that all together?
2: Well, two things. First of all, if you have three things, I think. We kid ourselves that you're going to find one passion in your life and you're going to do that. That's going to be the all-consuming thing. And if you don't find that, then you're really not passionate. Uh, I think really what most people do is they have a lot of passionettes. At different (laughs) points in their life, they're passionate about something. At a given point, they may be passionate about three or four things. Uh, And that's where the energy comes because what... Why are we passionate about something? Because we fall in love with it. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if it's your relationship or if it's fly fishing or in my case, it's photography. It's a window that I tumble through and fall in love with the world through it. And when you're in love with something, you feel passion. Mm -hmm. That's how we talk about it. That's where passion comes. So the question becomes, how do you fall in love with it? And it may be leading people is your passion. It may be helping people is your passion. It may be building a business from nothing to a high market cap is your passion. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the arts. We kid ourselves in that. We say, well, you know, if you're if you're not good at painting or dance or sculpture, then you're not creative and you're not passionate. Far from it. So two things. One, the things that you know outside your business that make you passionate, do them. Because they fill your cup up. They show you what passion is. They bring passion to your life. And then if you really hone in on what it is that you're falling in love with, you can probably find the same thing in your business to be passionate about.
1: That's very wise advice. It really is. And the part about just do it. Now that we are in such an unusual place in our world, And in our businesses, and we're all getting pretty burned out, I would say, after this COVID is still ongoing. And yet, and yet, we keep going. We must keep going. One of the things that relates to passion you just talked about, for me anyway, I'll give an example, is, okay, so I'm on Zoom calls a lot, just like most people are today. But my passion is cooking, and so what am I doing? I'm, I'm forcing myself to get up and not just sit at that computer all day, if possible. Now, sidebar comment, I'm hearing from some leaders that they are on Zoom calls eight hours a day. DeWitt, I don't even know how you do that, but, but this is reality. But you've got to take some time, whether it's in between calls or that evening or over the weekends. And just to your point, do something that energizes you. Isn't that the point is filling your own bucket. How do you fill your bucket other than photography? What else do you enjoy doing?
2: Well, you know, my mother, my mother used to say to me, begin your day with a full cup, Uh, you know, and that was my responsibility to do the things that I did that would fill my cup up. And I do a lot of them. I spend a lot of time out in nature. Nature fills me up anytime I'm out there. I, I'm a more of a nature-centered person than a human-centered person. Uh, <clears throat> I play golf. I go to the beach. I mean, there's the outdoor activities here are endless. Mm-hmm. But it really, as you said, is the discipline of making yourself do it and not do it in the sense that, oh, my God, I got to go downstairs and spend an hour on the Peloton because I have to be strong. That's... <laughs> It's something that you do where your mind disengages, something that you do where you let other things in, where you aren't so you centered. That's what's going to give you some air and some space and the ability to breathe. Um, and the other thing about it, which has to do with energy, if you fill your cup up, what happens? You overflow. Just mm-hmm. taking the metaphor, you fill it up till you overflow when you're passionate you you're really connected to some inner source that fills it up till it overflows mm-hmm. and when and when it's overflowing you give it away without fear you you have more energy than you know what to do with
1: mm-hmm.
2: i always like to say if if you know people may come to me and say do it you're so generous if my response is huh <laughs> then i know i'm doing it right cuz i'm not even aware of it my cup is so full that i'm overflowing i'm not doing it out of duty i'm doing it because i can't hold it in anymore
1: oh so i love finding, that
2: finding ways to continue to fill your cup up to continue to be passionate to continue to overflow
1: hmm.
2: and and i take these metaphors literally i do that because i can feel the energy coming back mm-hmm. And Valerie, that moves me to that, you know, I felt that the vision of the geographic, although they never wrote it down anywhere, was to celebrate what was right with the world. And that's what I was charged with doing, not to deny the pain and suffering that existed on the planet, but to try and find the fullest, best context that I can put that into and tell the most positive story that I could with my pictures. And What I found out was that as I celebrated what's right, I got a huge amount of energy from that. Mm. And so as a leader, if you celebrate what's right, you find the energy to fix what's wrong. If you have your people excited about what's right with your business, there's the energy to fix what's wrong. If there's only what's wrong with your business, there's no energy there. That's one of the reasons we're all just beat down from COVID, yeah. because nobody's out there celebrating what is incredibly right about our lives, even though we have this major thing to face. And if you forget that, then the energy just all drains out.
1: That is just I'm capturing so many teachable points of view. You've already mentioned a bunch of them, and I bet more will come out. We'll put them on the screen so that people can see them. We also are going to put on the screen a lot of your photographs as well. DeWitt, when I found you after all those years on LinkedIn, thank goodness for LinkedIn, and the first thing that I saw was exactly what you said. The title, I believe, as one of your keynote speeches, Celebrate What's Right with the World. It's so interesting. Guess what the name of the show is? You know, Doing It Right. And here I saw that title, Celebrate What's Right with the World. It's amazing to me how we came together after 25 years. I had never met you, and I'd been talking about you for 25 years. What is it about life that is so phenomenal when these things happen? Do they happen to you?
2: There's that wonderful line of coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. (laughs) Um, I think that's pretty true. They do happen for me. And in terms of celebrating what's right, one of the things for me that connects me with things larger than myself is is beauty. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why things are beautiful, but I know that it doesn't it's not because you studied a lot of art history. Things touch us. They bring us to tears of joy. They fill us with with emotion. And that's one of the reasons I go out into nature to recharge myself is it's always beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll always find something that strikes my heart. And so I, I've come up with that line that says, beauty is God's way of remaining obvious. Um, <laughs> It's like, you know, when I go out into nature, when I get out of my human-centered world, not that my human-centered world isn't beautiful, but it's easier for me in nature, then I go, whoa, you know, and I get hooked up with things that are bigger than me. And that gives me incredible energy.
1: Well, you've got incredible energy, and now you are giving back, and you are a giving person. I know that from everything you said yesterday and what I've read about you. So tell us about what you're doing now, how you moved from the work that you did, paid for work, National Geographic, into now inspiring people and companies with your keynotes. Tell us a little bit about that. That's very different from most keynote speeches.
2: Well, I I actually, um, I had done the Geographic I had a career in advertising photography, uh, primarily because you couldn't make a really good living at the geographic. You had the most wonderful creative experience ever, but they didn't pay you very well. Hmm. And so I went into advertising, and that was fun, but ultimately it it had no soul. And so Hmm. I was looking for something that would give me more meaning, and I was... uh, teaching a photo course going down the Grand Canyon in in uh, wooden dories. And one of the people on the course said, you know, the stuff you're talking about creativity that could play in a corporate audience. And I didn't know anything about corporate meetings or, (coughs) or retreats off sites, anything like that. But I learned very quickly. And, and I, I said, if you think so, and I put together a speech and I gave it, at the National Speakers Association. It was really well-received, and that, then it just took off. And I've spent a number of years lecturing to major corporations all over the country, all over the world. And then COVID came, and everything just stopped. All of those meetings went away. And so I've spent the last couple of months uh, putting together some virtual shows that I could do. And one of the things that I that I find really fun about that is that, you know, sitting as you said in Zoom meetings for eight hours, looking at other talking heads can be pretty deadening. And the fact that I have these beautiful photographs to buttress my work yeah. makes my shows, you know, sort of a breath of fresh air uh, in the middle of a day of meetings. So. Uh, I've had some really good luck going out to corporations and they also need to focus their people and get them upbeat and passionate again and Mm -hmm. celebrating what's right with the world. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I'm concentrating on now in in the virtual shows.
1: Well, when will they be ready?
2: They're ready right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, okay. So leaders. You, yeah,
2: if you go to my website, dewittjones.com, there's a teaser and you can find out about them there. But uh, yeah, I've been doing them already and they've been a great deal of fun.
1: Well, it's perfect. You know what's so perfect about this, DeWitt, is as we've talked today, it just seems like Life has opened up for you. Doesn't mean you haven't had challenges, but you have, because it's just who you are, you have the ability to see things that other people don't see. That's, I think, one of the major lessons for today for our listeners, to open our eyes. I remember, so I was a member of NSA for many years, and I remember a delightful humorist speaker. Her name was Jeannie. And Jeannie was tasked with the challenge of someone saying, Jeannie, you just must be naturally funny. How can I possibly bring humor into speeches? Here's what she said. She said, notice them every day. There's something funny that happens every day. And I'll never forget that, too, because I began seeing things that I hadn't really thought of as humorous but maybe even a little different, but not until someone said, open your eyes. And so it strikes me that this is what I'm learning from you today, that if you are aware, and that's emotional intelligence, isn't it? The awareness of other people, and other things. And if we become much more aware in life, we'll see doors open that we might have not even noticed before. That may be a crack, but at least it's a crack, and you can try to open it a little further, and maybe it'll just open wide. But you also talked about, and I do want to end with this, sometimes doors close. You think you're going down a right trajectory and then something happens with that trajectory. Can you give us an example of that in your life?
2: I think one of the examples was, you know, after working for The Geographic for a while, I, because I was a filmmaker, I'd learned how to make movies, I wanted to do one of their geographic specials. And uh, I actually sold one to The Geographic and we were getting ready to produce it. And then, For reasons that really didn't have to do with me, had to do with corporate infighting or whatever. I never really understood. It was canceled. Hmm. I really wanted to do that. I thought that that was my right answer. That's what I was supposed to be doing. Uh Well, one of the things that I've learned from photography is there's more than one right answer. And you know it so easily as a photographer. You know, you'll go out. I'll go out. I'll take 200 pictures, 300 pictures. Now with digital, I might take a thousand pictures to get one, mm. to, to look. And, and it doesn't mean that all of those thousand are bad. It means there was, you know, in the thousand there was probably 500 right answers. Mm. I'm comfortable with the fact that there is way, if I have an idea, there are a lot more ways to put it out in the universe. And if one is closing and it doesn't mean that I don't try But if one is just closing and closing and closing to me, look around to it. How else might you take that same idea and put it somewhere else? So if I just kept struggling to call clients and say, when are you having your next meeting Mm -hmm. that I can come and talk to a room full of people, I'm not going to get very far. That's closed. But my speaking isn't closed. There was a whole new thing called virtual talks, right? I didn't have this studio that I'm talking to you from now three months ago. I didn't understand Zoom or Skype or a whole bunch of other things and ATIMs and yeah, uh, switchers and a thousand things that I didn't know about two months ago, but it was the next right answer. Mm-hmm. And what life is about is continually finding the next right answer, mm-hmm. not just one. They're, some of them are going to go away because you got older, because you changed, because something changed in the world. But if you believe there's more than one right answer, then you just start looking for the next one, comfortably, easily, continually finding the next right answer.
1: Wow, DeWitt, that's just fabulous to close this show on, because the thing that I am hearing so much from these leaders is the doors that are closing. And you've just put a little spin on it, say, and maybe that door was supposed to close. And I love going back to your photographic example. Turn around, DeWitt. Turn around, Valerie. You're just maybe not seeing it because it's over there. But there's always an over there. Isn't there, DeWitt? Yeah.
2: There's always another right answer.
1: <laughs> there is.
2: I, I mean, I wish everybody could could know that lesson as deeply as i do from shooting pictures Mm -hmm. but you know we we take a lot of multiple choice tests when we're in (laughs) high school and college and they're all based around one right answer Uh and they get us feeling that there's one right answer but there's not there are millions of right answers
1: and that my friend is the next perk up to me that's going to go in my heart, and now I have another DeWittism that's going to resonate for the rest of my life. The audience I know, DeWitt, has learned so many inspirational things, I certainly have from today, and we need that. No wonder you're doing so well now going around speaking to audiences. That's what we need when we are in times of stress, and we are. We need people like you not talking about business issues. We need the heart issues. We need the things, that your, your, your quick and, and um, very witty ways of saying things and tying it to a picture. When you can see a picture, when I can visualize what you've just said in these 30 minutes or so that we're together, then it sticks in my brain. And so how wonderful that you are gifted in this manner and have had a, a life of talent that you can now bring to audiences all over this world. And I just wish you continued blessings and successes. And up on the screen now, we are showing where people can get in touch with you. And I can't wait to see the virtual keynote. That's going to be really great. DeWitt, thank you so much for being on the show today.
2: Thank you, Valerie. It was great.
1: All right. And now, my Valerieism for the day. And it comes actually from the podcast. And here it is Open Your Eyes to See. I wonder where I got that. Really see the most potential in every frame of life. I just find that today, that's what's missing. As business people, what do we do? We get up in the morning now and COVID, and we have work to do. So we crawl over in front of the computer, probably get on a Zoom call, and we do work. And then we get off the Zoom call, and we do work. So I am finding from leaders that I'm coaching that people more than ever before are working harder than ever before. Isn't that interesting? From home. Yes, you are. And so it's more important than ever before for us to open our eyes and take a minute outside of that computer, get out of the house, get into nature, do something that energizes you and watch for every frame of the day as you go through your day and find something that you can grab onto that inspires you. Maybe it is a beautiful flower. Maybe it's a child running to a mom. Maybe it's outside and social distancing at a patio restaurant where at least you can go and have a bite to eat. Whatever it is, find those things today. We have got to energize ourselves. No one's going to do it for us. And do it outside of the workday. To-dos become a to-be, not just a do. That's my Valerieism for today.